Thank you, Allie. When Allie on, I think it was Tuesday, sent me that video that she and Matt Terlau had created for their, uh, for their teen ministry, I thought, my work is done. <laughs> what a beautiful job. Thank you for sharing that with us, and I hope that the Lord will bring this all together to help us see our responsibility and the privilege we have of, of extending His love to His creation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I would like to take just a sidestep before we get into the Word of God today and tell you a short story that happened in, in uh, July 16th of 1893. There was a 33-year-old school teacher, uh, college teacher actually from Wellesley College in Wellesley, Massachusetts, who was traveling by rail from the East Coast to Colorado Springs to give a le lecture at Colorado University. And on the train ride from Chicago uh, to the Rocky Mountains, she couldn't help but notice that she passed out of the city of Chicago, the beautiful city of Chicago, uh, through the state of Missouri and through the wheat fields of Kansas, and then the high plains of Colorado. And at the end of the day and at the beginning of the next day, she began a hike up Pikes Peak. And from the summit of Pikes Peak on July 16th, she looked around at the, at the majestic mountains, purple in color, and she saw below the fruited plain, and, and she recalled from the day before the city of Chicago and the waving uh, uh, wheat uh, grain in the, in the state of Kansas, and she was inspired to write a poem that we now know as America the Beautiful. And I was thinking about creation and the beauty all around us, and, and in all honesty, in the last six months, I've heard America called a lot of things, and not very often have I heard her called beautiful. And I thought it would be good today on this Independence Day 2020 if we would just pause and give thanks for the land that God has blessed us with. Paul, uh, Tom so adequately and so well spoke at last week about the fact that there is no system of government. There is no, nothing that is able to get it right. Human, uh, as long as humans are in charge, even though God has given us the commission, we still get it wrong. And I would go so far as to say that no nation or government or institution of man can satisfy the desires of an ungrateful people. And I don't want to be one of those today. I want to give thanks to God for a land that has offered more opportunity to more people uh, throughout the ages of history than any nation ever in the history of man. So would you join me this morning in, a, in not only giving thanks to God but in a prayer of singing the first and last verse of that poem that Catherine Bates wrote in 1893. It goes like this. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties, Above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee. <clears throat> From sea to shining sea, 
pray with me this morning. Father, we, we recognize our humanity and our weakness, our divisions and our sin. We recognize, Lord, that we are not a perfect nation, but we also recognize that we are a blessed nation. And we want to just stop and give you thanks today. And as we give thanks, we acknowledge, Lord, that you have blessed us with liberty and we wanted license. You have blessed us with plenty, and we chased after excess. You have blessed us with opportunity, and we have desired entitlement. And so, Lord, for these things, we ask for your forgiveness, and we ask, Lord, that you would come and heal our land. Lord, that you would heal our land from the from the uh, virus that, that lurks about in our communities and in our nation. We pray that you would heal our land from the divisiveness and the hatred that seems to be everywhere. We pray, Lord, that you will heal our nation from our going our own way and forgetting where our gifts come from. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will forgive our sins and heal our land. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for singing and praying together. For the past four weeks, we've talked about generosity in the king's economy. The first week, Pastor Kevin talked about the worship key, and he, he reminded us that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The next week, we talked about the community key. Remember, we were talking about the potluck dinner? Did it bring back any memories for anyone of those good Sunday potluck dinners when everyone brought something and no one went home hungry? And I thought that was a beautiful illustration of the way God's economy should work in the body of Christ. The next week, Pastor Kevin talked about the work key, the value of work and wages of gleaning and giving. And then last week, Tom talked about the equity key where he reminded us that hoarding brings riches to rot and to ruin and that none of it, none of my stuff is really mine. <laughs> Can we say that together? None of my stuff is really mine. It's a good thing to remember. Today, we're talking, as Ali said, about the creation key, God's magnificent creation and our relationship to it. We already read responsively from Psalm 19, but I want to just highlight those verses once again uh, for our, as we dive into the message today. Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6 say this, 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they bring forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heaven and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is hidden from its heat." And then the very last uh, verse of chapter 19, I think, is a great benediction, but it also is a challenge to us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And that is my prayer as we look into God's word today. Heaven is talking. Are we listening? There's a lot of talk today about tax-funded, taxpayer-funded higher education. Might I suggest that creation should be our first course that we take? In these verses, God is, if you look at it, God is offering us a multilingual, universal, continuing education. And it's free. No taxpayer dollars needed. All you have to do is go outside and look. You see, it says, <clears throat> I say it's uh, multilingual. He said there is not a language or speech where their voice is not heard. It's universal. The voice goes out into all the earth, the uh, words to the ends of the world. And it's a continuing education. Day by day, it offers at others for speech, pours forth speech night after night. They display knowledge. So I would like to suggest today that as we look at creation around us, that we uh, take it as a course in Creation 101, realizing that the glory of God is everywhere for us to see, for us to enjoy, and for us to take care of. There are four things that I have noticed as I've studied about this this week. The first one is this. God is a God of incredible imagination. The video that Ali showed uh, showed that beautifully about the imagination of God. Thursday, I was in the lighthouse, and I was looking down on the pond, and as I was preparing and praying, for today, and I just saw all sorts of neat stuff as I, was, as I was up in the lighthouse. You looked down there, and there were some bass swimming around. You couldn't see them very well, but you could kind of see them sneaking around in the water. And then just a little ways further, I didn't know we had those in there. About scared me. There were some grass carp that were about this long, and uh, uh, they were some pretty big fish. And, and then I saw the dragonflies flying around. They were so big that you could see them from the third floor, and, and birds swooping down to get insects. And, and uh, I saw... Uh, looking at the fountains where the water was coming out, the water was refracting the light from the sun into all of the colors of the rainbow uh, off to the side. It was just beautiful, and I was just in awe of the imagination that it took before God ever spoke into, in, any of this into existence. Before he ever formed it with his hands, he had to imagine it first. God is a God of incredible imagination. I looked outside around town, I saw trees of every shape and size and species uh, for shade. I saw, I saw corn and soybean crops to the, to the east and to the north. I saw cattle grazing. I saw all sorts of God's uh, creatures and his beautiful creation everywhere. And begot, before God had formed any of it, he imagined it. And what I, I think is very interesting today is that we are created, the Bible says, in whose image? In his image. 
And if we are created in his image, where do you suppose our imagination comes from? And I got to thinking about the incredible imagination that man has and how it's a gift from God. It came as he formed us, he placed his imagination into us. <clears throat> Can I give you a really uh, uh, goofy illustration of that? Back in the 1800s, uh, there was a guy by the name of Thomas Davenport and several others. It was all, all over the world. It was kind of happening, happening simultaneously. They were experimenting with electric motors uh, with direct current at that time. And they were finding out that if they could create a magnetic field out of, out of windings, that, that a, a stator inside of that would turn as, the, as that uh, electric field was magnified. And so they began to experiment with electric motors. We have them everywhere, uh, from your refrigerators to all, your ceiling fans in your car. There's probably 20 or 30 of them just in your car. And uh, electric motors everywhere. And, and an, a normal electric motor that we have in, for ag and industrial use, okay, you're going to love this. I mean, this is just going to excite all of you. <laughs> for, for ag and industrial, turns 1,700 uh, revolutions per minute. So I don't know what that comes out to a second. I didn't take time to figure it out. But it's turning pretty fast. And it can stop immediately if you have a reversible motor and uh, uh, go the opposite direction at 1,700 revolutions per minute. So I think that's pretty incredible, the imagination that God gave man to, uh, uh, to figure that out. And I just realized as I was just starting this, I have an electrician here and I have a medical doctor here. I hope my facts are somewhat straight. <laughs> Zach, am I close? <laughs> okay. 1,700 revolutions per minute one way and then the next moment the next. But here's the neat part. You think man's got great imagination? Did you know that thousands of years before Thomas Davenport was creating the electric motor, God had already designed one just like it, only better? Have you ever heard of a flagella bacteria or a protein uh, structure? Flagella, I don't know even how you pronounce it. Here's some neat statistics about it. It has a stator and a rotor, just like an electric motor. It has a little whip tail that turns at, listen to this, not 1,700 revolutions per minute, but 17,000 revolutions per minute. And this little flagella motor, rotor, uh, can turn 17,000 revolutions per minute and spin its little tail, and then it can reverse in a millisecond to 17,000 RPM the other direction. And that's how it moves around inside your body. And uh, it's even got, it, does, it has a rheostat so it can slow down and speed up. But it doesn't, there's one thing it doesn't have, it doesn't, it doesn't have an on-off switch. But instead there's another protein that serves as a mechanical clutch that will engage and disengage that little uh, spinning tail so that the rotor, so that that uh, protein can move through the body. Now, isn't that wild? Now, do you want to, you say, what in the world are you telling me? What importance does that little, uh, that little protein structure have? Well, let me tell you, we wouldn't be here without it because it's what propels sperm cells to their destination. <laughs> Didn't know that, did you? <laughs> Didn't know you're going to learn that today. Think of the imagination of Almighty God and how he designed us with such detail and with such imagination. The second thing that I want to uh, talk about today is God is not only a God of incredible imagination, he's a God of precise order. 
Friday night, I was, we were at the campground, and, and uh, we were camping in a tent, which I would not highly recommend, but <laughs> we were doing it anyway. And, and our tent, since the weather was supposed to be good, I didn't put the, the dome on top of it. I just let the, so you could see right out. And, and I honestly could not get to sleep for about two hours. Maybe it was longer than that. But I was just staring at the, at the constellations above me. I was staring at the sky. And I was seeing the stars and Ursa Major and Ursa Minor and Draco and Orion's Belt and uh, Cassiopeia and all of these constellations. And I got to thinking about Job when he talked about the stars, how they danced together at creation and how the angels sang uh, songs and shouted praise to God as God called all this into existence. And it occurred to me that while I was laying there under the stars and looking up at the heavens, I was seeing the exact same constellations that Job did six, five, six thousand years ago. He talks about in Job about uh, the bear and its cubs, talking about the star, which is Urza Major and Urza Minor. And, and, uh, he talk, and if you read Job chapter 38 through chapter 40, he's talking about all these magnificent things that God spoke into existence and that God formed. It's incredible the divine order that God has, the precise order. Uh, some examples of planetary movement, prediction of an eclipse. Did you know that you could, they can predict eclipses 100 years of advance in advance because of the precise order of creation? And you talked about that in your video, about God did this first so that this would work second. There's a precise order in the way God does everything. Now, I was thinking about that one day, and I, I realized that um, this, this explain, that, uh, we talk about the imagination and the variety of God, and then the precise order of God. Think of it this way. Because of the precise order of our Creator, we can predict uh, eclipses, hundreds of years in advance, but the weatherman can't get it right about tomorrow. <laughs> so you see, both of these things are operating continuously in tension with one another, God's precise order and God's divine imagination and the variety of his creation. And probably the biggest aha moment for me as I was preparing for this, as I thought about God's precise order and creation who did, he chose, who did he choose to put in charge of it? Imperfect people. Now, if I built something that was pretty special to me, <laughs> I, 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 my, some of my grandkids are here with me today. I won't embarrass them, but, but I've got some stuff in my house that's pretty special, and, and they've got wheels on them. <laughs> And my grandkids, when they were littler, loved to play with those things. And just about every time when they'd leave, I'd have to glue on a muffler or glue on this or that or the other because they were having a great time with it. You see, when we create something special, we kind of want to take care of it, but we also kind of want to see our kids enjoying it and our grandkids enjoying it. And I think God is the same way. He gave us creation to enjoy and to take care of. And uh, I want us to read a psalm together. If you would turn to Psalm chapter 8... We're going to talk about mankind's position in creation. And then we're going to talk about mankind's function and relationship with creation. Psalm 8, there's just eight, uh, nine verses we'll read. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I read that psalm, I think about God's magnificent creation. I think about the fact that he's placed us in charge. And I think, wow, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How can we do this right? How can I do this best? In Genesis 1, chapters 1, 2, and chapter 9, mankind's function and relationship with creation is described. He is told to work it, to care for it, to increase and fill it, to subdue it, and rule over it. I know these, some of these things aren't politically correct right now in this day and age, but this is God's word, and this is what we were commissioned to do, to work it, to care for it, to increase and fill it, subdue it, and rule over it. And I want to give you two words today for you to digest and think about. They are this, stewards and caretakers. So I want you just to stop and think about it. Are we caretakers of God's creation or are we stewards of God's creation? Think about it a little bit. Can I describe for you the best way I know how to the difference between a caretaker and a steward? I take you to the New Testament and the parable of the ten talents. One of those guys was a pretty good caretaker. He knew right where that talent was, <laughs> buried in the ground because of fear. He was a caretaker. When the, when the master came back looking for it, says, here it is, I saved it. But God reprimanded him. He said, I gave you that for a reason and for a purpose, for it to grow. The first guy received five, and he turned those five into ten. He put them at risk and turned them into ten. The second guy received two talents. He put them to risk. He invested them, and he turned it into four. And God honored them for their, for their hard work and for their investment. They were stewards. They were wise stewards of what God had given and that's what God has called us to do, not only with creation, but everything he has given us, our talents, our abilities. On the day of judgment, when we stand before him and say, you gave it to me, I still got it, God. And he's going to say, no way. That's not why I gave you that gift. I gave you that gift so that you could share it, so that you could give it away, so that you could invest it in the people around you and the children and the grandchildren that God has blessed you with to increase, to be fruitful and multiply. That's God's economy. And that's what he's called us to do in our creation, to be stewards, not caretakers. I have here on the next slide four creation care questions that I think help me as I go through life making decisions about taking care of my environment, taking care of our creation. The first one is this. Does this purchase or practice exhibit moderation or excess? Second, does this purchase or practice encourage generosity or greed? Third, how will this purchase or practice affect the kingdom of God? And fourth, 
How will this purchase or practice affect my grandchildren? They're pretty important to me. And I honestly think if we ask these four questions, it'll give us some pretty good guidance about how to take care of the things around us. God wants us to enjoy and to utilize and be good, wise stewards of everything around us so that generations behind us can enjoy them too. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave it at that. If I go any further, I'll get political, and I don't want to do that today. I have two quotes that I want to pass along. One of them was from Martin Luther, supposedly. Have you noticed this day and age that with all the memes that go around, <laughs> there's a lot of quotes out there. We don't know if anybody really said them or not, but they stick a picture with them. And, and, but this one supposedly Martin Luther said. And then the second quote is one that my fifth grade Sunday school, Doc Van Campen said, Sunday school teacher, Doc Van Campen said, and I know he said it. But the first quote is this. Somebody said to, to Martin Luther, if you thought Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you do today? And he said, I'd plant a tree. Hmm. Does that kind of give you the picture of what we're talking about? That yes, uh, God wants us to utilize, to enjoy the creation. Yes, Jesus is coming. Yes, this world is going to end. But still, we take care of it while we got it. Kind of like your body. You know it's going to die someday, right? But you're still supposed to take care of it anyway. <laughs> and you're going to be a whole lot better off if you do. So Martin Luther said, plant a tree. The second quote I want to leave with you was from my fifth grade Sunday school teacher. He said, we should live as though Jesus is coming tomorrow and plan as though he won't come for another thousand years. So in how we care for creation and how we care for one another, I think those are some good quotes, some good questions for us to kind of keep these things in reference. After you've asked those questions um, and sought wisdom uh, from resources around you and from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit. I won't judge you on how you use re your resources, and I'll ask you not to judge me on how I use mine. Fair enough? Okay? I believe in... Okay, I told you I wasn't going to go there. I'll stop. God is not only a God of incredible imagination, a God of precise order. He's also a God of great generosity. And if we could have slide 10, in Isaiah chapter 55, we read these words, just as the rain falls down from the ground and waters it and does not return until it has accomplished what it is sent to do, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will always accomplish what I send it to do. He said, when the rain comes down, it does two things. It provides bread for the eater and seed for the sower. That's the way God designed it so that when we plant, there is an increase and we have enough for us to eat, but we also have enough to put uh, seed down for the next year. God provided our creation in a wonderful way for us to, uh, uh, to have a living and to pass it on. To have a living and to pass it on. It takes discipline to do that. They, they tell the story of in, the old, in the Psalms where it says, those who go forth uh, sowing in tears will reap with joy. The story behind that is that people would, there, there was great sacrifice in saving back the seed from the year before. Uh, they would rather eat it. They were hungry, uh, but they had the discipline to save that seed so that they would have something for next year. 
And that's the way God designed it. We plant the seed, we harvest, we, we gain an increase, and we save the seed for the next year. That's God's economy. That's how we care wisely for what's around us. God is a great God, a God of great generosity. He wants us to thrive, not just survive. And no, I'm not a prosperity preacher unless prosperity means thriving in the kingdom of God. God wants us to thrive, not just survive, but he multiplies things for a purpose, and that is so that we can be generous, just as he's been generous with us. What did Tom say last week? What you hoard is going to rot. When you go out looking for manna and you grab a whole bunch just for you, it's going to be useless to you. The reason God blesses each of us with the resources we have is so that we can bless others in the name of the Lord. We need to be generous just as he is. And that leads us to the last point. God is not only a God of incredible imagination, a God of precise order, and a God of great generosity. God is a God of loving redemption. You see, we have a problem. Our creation has fallen. It happened in Genesis 3. We live in a fallen creation ruled by broken humanity, and that does not bode well for the future. <laughs> but God has a plan. If I could have the praise team come into place, we're going to sing a song in just a little bit. But I, there's a word that God gave me this week, and I was really struggling with this last part of the message. Um, and I, I'm still not exactly sure how, how I'm supposed to wrap this up. But the word kept coming back to me all week, bookends, bookends, bookends. You know those things that on, the, on your shelf that hold the books together? And if you take one out, all the books fall over. And, and this is what I, I believe God was trying to, to, to get into my mind, and I'd like to try my best to pass it on to you today. Those two bookends in my mind in, in my, as I was pondering over this one of them is God as creator. The other one was God as judge. And if we take either one of those bookends away, life falls apart. Civilization falls apart. Whenever you take God as creator, when you try to minimize his power of creation, then we minimize our responsibility to him. But when we place him as creator, but we also create him at, at the end of the time, he's going to be the judge of all. Revelation talks about it. Second Peter talks about it. We're going to read just a little bit of it before we sing. But I, I, I can't... When I think of God being creator and, God, and someday we're going to give an account, it's kind of scary. Except for one thing. Are you all listening? Pay attention. In the meantime, between creation and the judgment, he's my redeemer. And he has covered our whole lives with his grace, with his incredible grace. So that one day we don't have those of, those of us who were in Christ do not have to fear the judgment because the judgment was placed on his son at the cross. That judgment has already been taken care of. But there was something God was instilling in me all week, and it doesn't even really fit with our message today, but I got to say it. If we are not in Christ, judgment is coming. 
And part of the reason we, we have so many struggles in our world today is we have not preached it. We have not, we have not lived it like, the ju- like God is our judge. We love the fact that God created. We love the fact that he sent Jesus to be our redeemer. Uh, that revelation, I, that must all be just figurative. Or maybe another prevailing thought that happens in our churches, we, we talk about this kind of a, we're, we're going to kind of phase into the new heavens and new earth. It's going to be kind of a non-event that the kingdom of God is just going to phase into this place of perfection. It's a little bit of a new age idea. I want to tell you today, you read 2 Peter 3. We aren't going to read it today, but you, you read it today uh, when you go home. <laughs> the day of the Lord is not a transition. It's an event. <laughs> it says that everything around us is going to melt in the fervent heat of God's judgment. Everything, even the elements, the periodic table that we memorize in grade school, it's all going to be gone. But it also goes on to say in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, this happens so that we have room for God to give us the new heaven and the new earth created in righteousness. There's a purpose for that destruction. It's so that the new heaven and new earth can take place. And I've got to read a little bit of this from Revelation. This describes what it's going to be like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things are passed away. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son." Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. They will see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever, and there will no longer be any curse. And then in verse 12, and I want this to be a prayer, would you just stand with us together as we pray this prayer? Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.